Force Multiplier is excited to have launched our community, a community designed for both leaders and Force Multipliers. This dynamic community is not only filled with a plethora of networking opportunities and exclusive events with distinguished guest speakers, but filled with value-added sources such as courses, on-demand training, templates, resources, publications, and so much more. Check it out, link below in the show notes. We are honored to host Brenda Rogers. She exemplifies the force multiplier role, taking her journey from executive assistant to chief of staff in prominent organizations, recently at the Gordon Ramsay Corp. Brenda shares how she built her career path, how she openly spoke about her aspirations and where she wanted to take herself, what it takes to be a force multiplier, along with tips and guides for leaders themselves. She has a humble spirit with a calming presence and an ambitious soul. I am sure you're going to love listening to her as much as we enjoyed hosting her. Brenda Rogers, thank you so much for joining the Founder and Force Multiplier podcast today. You to us are such a brand on target, I would say, for Founder and Force Multiplier because your journey speaks to Force Multipliers. You are a Force Multiplier. You have an amazing story, and we are so excited to have you here. If you can take a moment to share with us who Brenda Rogers is, your journey, and sort of why I'm saying you're the target for a force multiplier and what we teach and preach. <laughs> oh, hi, Manal. It's so nice to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm honored. Um, if I can, I mean, I've always wanted to be a secretary. You know, my entire life, I've watched uh, Perry Mason when I was a little girl. And okay. Wanted- I know. Look it up. (laughs) A secretary like Della Street. And she was, you know, Perry Mason's right arm. And it was something I'd always wanted to do. So I've been, you know, a secretary, an administrative assistant, an executive assistant for a million years. And I love it. I have a great passion for it. I like Della Street. Uh, I had always wanted to be that right arm for my manager, yeah. which I think is what makes assistance be that force multiplier that you all talk about. Um, we're the boots on the ground for our manager, and I've always been that way with mine. Um, I have worked with my last manager for about 13 years, and uh, he kept me around for a reason. He wasn't he wasn't just just, you know, doing me a favor by letting me work with him. I mean, he needed me because I was good at what I did and I um I did all that I could to make him successful and to protect him. So That's awesome. So your journey, which I'd love for you to zone in on this part, yes. going from an EA to a chief of staff, and you're also being very humble because you've been chief of staff to kind of prominent, I would say, <laughs> executives, right? Um, and and EA, kind of share that journey of what it took to go from an EA to a chief of staff, and what were some of the lessons and 
if you were to go back and redo anything, is there anything that you would redo? And I feel like that would help so many out there that are also on that path because it is a little, as you stated to me before, it's a little bit of an uncommon path because in the past, chief of staffs maybe came from like, you know, MBA programs or strategy roles. And then they moved into these like chief of staff roles. But Brenda, you opened a different path, which, you know, is amazing. And it is such, I feel like also a natural path. So I'd love for you to talk about it and share that. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, I'd worked with my manager for a while. And when I became his executive assistant, when he was CEO, Uh, back at Macaroni Grill, that was my career goal. That is what I wanted to do. But after I had been in the role for a while and I had worked for another executive um, in between this time, I just needed something more substantive. I wanted to do, have a role that was more meaty. Right. And I had started to, uh, I'd always been, you know, taking some type of training, uh, but I had started to hear about the uh, chief of staff role. And it sounded interesting to me. It sounded as if it was, it was that meaty role that I was looking for. And so I kept looking at it, kept looking at it. And I ended up talking to my manager about it, uh, when we were at Del Frisco's, and I can't remember the year, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I was talking to him about it and telling him, this is what I want to do. Uh, he was very supportive in that and, um, you know, su- suggested that, you know, I continue training and, and all of that. And so in between that time, I was then promoted to vice president of uh, administration at Del Frisco's. And so that helped me um, do more with, you know, being more strategic, uh, being a leader. I uh, led two other administrative assistants or executive assistants. Um, And uh, then I joined a uh, KPMG um, class for executives. Oh, nice. I did did that, and I was the only EA in the room amongst all the other vice presidents in there, and so that was fun. And I had to do presentations, so that kind of that put me out there. And I had to do public speaking, which I wow, yeah. (laughs) And so that I believe that helped me, you know, put me on that path uh, to being a. chief of staff. And then when I moved over to Gordon Ramsay, North America, that's when I became an actual chief of staff. Um, It it was a learning, um, it was a learning experience for me because we were starting brand new with brand new restaurants, you know, opening uh, new restaurants here in the U.S. And it was, um, it was difficult. I won't, I won't lie because then I had to take on and learn what the strategy and tactics were for our brand new company and make sure to keep all the leaders on track with that. Um, I felt like in that role, I was a goalkeeper. Um, you know, I made sure that my manager stayed on track with, you know, what it was that we were set out, we were setting out to do. 
And um, and he I, he appreciated that because, you know, we kind of go along the way and then I'd be like, but aren't we supposed to do this? Yes, you know, so yes. It, it was really good. Um, talking about my journey, the one thing that I think is very important that everybody should know is bring your manager in on your journey with you. You know, if this is something that you want to do, tell him or her what it is that you want to do. Um, they can be the ones to help you. When I told Norman, this is, I want to do this, then he was like, well, you know, I'm going to um, have you do the KPMG course. And they normally have that for, you know, higher up or higher level executives than me. So I just, I feel like you have to talk to your manager about what it is that you want to do and, and ask for their help, you know, whether it's your manager or someone else in, in your circle, in your professional circle, or someone else at your office, you have to ask for help and you have to, you have to say it, you have to speak it. If you don't, then no one will ever know and you, you may not get there, you may not. Yeah, I, I love I love everything you just said. One, just to recap, the fact that you took your career stepping stone in your hand, laid yeah. out what you wanted, and created a path for it, that is so important. There's so many times we kind of get stuck in a rut. And I, I always tell anyone in that position, because it's not easy, you know, when we, we are not feeling challenged and we're like, I don't know what my next goal is. I always say, give yourself a chance, put an yes. action plan together. It may not be the perfect action plan and it may not work out and you might have to pivot, but at least you're starting. Right. And that's important. It is and the communication. Communication. Have to, yes. <laughs> you have to, it all comes down to, um, you know, saying what you want. You have to say what you want and, and not be afraid to say that and not to be, afraid to ask. So, you know, you stand up for yourself and, and do that. And that's even part of being um, a chief of staff because you're going to have to say, you know, you may have to say some things that may not be too easy, uh, right. may not be something that your leader wants to hear. So it's, you have to um, project and, and put yourself out there. It'll be okay. You'll live. <laughs> love it. So Brenda, tell us from going, I say this all the time, being any force multiplier, you really live in the gray, but I feel like as a EA, there's still a little more structure um, than being a chief of staff. And then when you're a chief of staff, you sort of are expanded and you are, you know, a visionary, you're kind of helping, like you said, make sure that everybody's on track and sticking to the you know, metrics and the KPIs and the goals that are going to get us to the ultimate vision for the company, right? Which is not easy to do. You're dealing with a lot of executives, the entire leadership team, cross-functional teams. Like it's a pretty big undertaking. For you and from your experience, what was the biggest difference from an EA to chief of staff? And how did you sort of help yourself get to that next level? It was, it, it's difficult. It's very, it, it, well, actually, let me back up. I don't, 
think it's too, too different from an EA because I think of these both of these roles as being highly exposed roles, especially right. um, when being a, an EA to a CEO. So uh, I think they're both highly exposed roles. Um, the one big difference I think there is with that is um, you tend to be... You tend to learn more about what's going on with strategy and tactics. Um, you probably learn a lot more than you know what you want to know, but um, you learn a, a lot more about that. And you have a say. You know, EA should have a say as well. But being a chief of staff, you're on the leadership team. Right. So you have a say and you have to say it. You can't sit there and go, oh, well, they're not going to listen to what I say or what I say doesn't matter. What you say does matter. And if if you see that um, there's a, some type of calamity ahead or a possible say it, it may right. not happen, but say it. If you are coming from a place especially if you're coming from an EA role to this, you're coming from a place that maybe many of your leaders have not come from. You have a different perspective. So you have to speak up. You have to, um, uh, you have to say something. So I think that's the, one of the differences uh, uh, between an EA and that is you have a response, more of a responsibility to, to speak up and say something and talk when you're talking about the business. Yeah, because like you said, as a chief of staff and I mean, as an EA, as a force multiplier, you're a goalkeeper. But I feel like when you sort of move into that chief of staff role, you're also a proxy to that executive yeah. or CEO. So you have, they have to trust you to represent them when they're not around or handle a meeting when they can't come to the meeting or get all the leadership um, aligned, right, in order to achieve X. I mean, it is, you're right, it requires that sort of, you know, confidence and being that proxy. So I got a question for you. Okay. The, the the hardest part, I feel, and I, and I love this because I feel like from your perspective, I want leaders, CEOs, founders out there, what can they do? What can leaders do in order to create that opportunity for their chief of staff to do the things you're saying? Because I feel like that sometimes is the challenge, right, is not all chief of staffs maybe are part of the leadership team. Um, maybe they don't have the ability to, you know, have a voice or, you know, lead or direct the way that a chief of staff can be the most effective. Is there any advice you can give to leaders out there to help their chief of staff grow into that role and be that really that effective force multiplier for them so they can go and be the leader that they want to be, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the leaders, the founders, you need to bring that chief of staff into the tent. You can't be uh, keep things so hush hush or oh, this is only for the elder for the leadership team. This is I can only talk to my CFO about this. You have to bring your chief of staff in because otherwise, if you don't. How can they help you with strategy? How can they keep you in line? And I think sometimes 
especially if you come up the way that I did into the role, they still look at you as an executive assistant as part of the rest of the team. Um, you know, some things that they may have to keep confidential You have from the rest of the team, you have to bring this chief of staff in. Um, you have to seek his or her advice. You can't just, again, take it from one side. So you have to bring them in. I was always brought in, um, in, in whenever Norman had something to ask us or talk to us about. Um, he brought me in as well. And it was, of course, it helped. It was great for my ego, but, it, <laughs> but, you know, it, it helped him, I believe. And, you know, also I was going to say this earlier, your chief of staff has equity in the company, whether that's financial or, you know, just in a different sense, they have, uh, they have equity in the company and, They want the company to do well too. They want to continue to have, you know, continue to get a paycheck. So, you know, just just trust that your um, chief of staff wants you and the company to do well, and you you have to bring them in. You have to. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I actually we did a podcast episode on letting go of control for for founders and. Leaders and it, it kind of goes for force multipliers too, um, but it's so important the open communication, the outlining what your role is and and how you fit into that role and the impact you can make. And I would say like continuous learning, right? It's a journey, and you said it earlier: learning together. That's critical. Growing together, like when you went to your leader, right, your executive as an EA. You asked for a specific role and your leader, what I heard is they laid out a plan for you, which I think that's so key. That's so it key. Is, There's, it's, and, it's, and we're living in such a digital world. Like education is all over now, you know, it's not hard to get. Oh yeah. It's, it's much easier, you know, than what I had to do, back, you know, back in the day and, <laughs> take off work and, you know, do all, all of those things. But yeah, I, I'm a big believer in training and education. And, um, you know, even as, and especially in, in this role, you know, it's just like you got to stay educated. And, you know, there's some groups on LinkedIn that you can join for chiefs of staff. And, and you learn more about the role and what other chiefs of staffs are doing in their Um, in their companies. So you have to stay educated. You have to stay sharp. Um, it helps you stay relevant. It helps you to uh, keep up with everything that's going on. That's so amazing. Are there specific books or podcasts or even just individuals that have been sort of the most impact to you while you were transitioning into your chief of staff role and something others can, you know, maybe also leverage? Yeah, there's a one that I gotten into recently, the Chief of Staff Roundtable. Okay. And they have something, I think about once a month, and they'll have a, 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 
not necessarily a podcast, just more, more like a Zoom call. And they'll have it once a month and they'll have people come in and uh, talk to the group that are uh, chiefs of uh, chief of staff at other companies. Um, and there's about 30 people on the call. And it's, it's really very interesting. Um, they even had one where we, we had to get on there and we and they gave us situations. And, you know, we went off into another, you know, room and, you know, three or four of us got together and we talked it out and then and and discussed what that uh, situation was and then had to come back and give a presentation. Um, It's like a mini MBA. Yeah, it it was it was really interesting. I was scared to death, but it was interesting. And uh, I think you can learn a lot from it. the other uh, book that I think is very good, and it was about strengths. Uh, now discover your strengths. I think it's called, and it's kind of it's a little bit off topic, but I think it's a good book to read. One, you know, to discover what your strengths are and to focus on those strengths. Uh, some of us, namely me, tend to focus on the weakness, yeah. and you know fix that. Well, I've learned that that's a little backward. And so it's better for you to focus on that strength and continue to make that better and work in that. I think when we work in our strengths, we are more successful than trying to fix weakness. Of course, you should, you know, work, fix that. Uh, But I think it's more important to work in your, your strength and, and go forward in that. Yeah, no, those are great. Thank you. And and let's mention founder and force multiplier too. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I'm sending it to you, Brenda. I'm sending it to you. You gotta read it. You gotta read it. <laughs> Actually, I love that you said what you said about, you know, joining a community. Um, I'm so happy to say that the founder and force multiplier, we just put our community in beta testing. But we actually wanted to build a community where founders and force multipliers can be in the same community together, level up together, learn together, take courses together, because it's so important if you have a right-hand strategic partner to make sure that your partnership is effective and impactful, right? Like, why else would you have that force multiplier? And as a leader... I will tell you right now, like so many individuals, founders in startup mode or, or, you know, launching a new product at a company initiatives, like it is, you occupy your space, your mind, your, your tasks, like you are over, overly occupied. And that's when you are derailed from, you know, executing on the vision, actually, you know, setting the right metrics to have detective control so you're not always in fire drill mode, right? Like a chief of staff is so critical to help maintain, I would say, sanity and business execution. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You know, it, that um, I have learned more about it. Um, and forgive me for not failing, for failing to mention, but even the uh, newsletter that Hallie sends out every week, you know, I think that's very important. I like that, you know, the the things that she puts into the new, newsletter are very, um, 
uh, real life. Right. And, and, you know, and I, and I love that. And so I find it, I love reading it every week. And she also suggests books that you, she reads. I honestly, she reads I'm, a lot. I am so, I admire her so much. Like so many books, like my heart gets so happy every time she talks about a book. <laughs> and I'm like, can I get the cliff notes real quick? <laughs> She reads so much and, and she does her job and she has her family. So it's just like she proves that it, it is uh, possible. So yeah, <laughs> she's a role model. <laughs> yeah, I do feel I do feel that that's something that's so important to to really reflect on, because look, our life is so fast paced and busy and and so much is going on. And I had to learn the hard way that it's OK to deprioritize the things that are not in that moment in my life important or a, a goal that I'm trying to achieve. And that's a hard, letting go is so hard. It's so hard. Yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, I, if, if I have a weakness, I think it would be that. It's very hard for me to, to delegate. And, um, and I've, had to, I've had to learn to, to do that in my new role. And, and I've also learned when I've done that, it's just like, oh, that's another great way to do that task. You learn. You know, yes, you do. And so um, it's a hard thing, but you finally, you know, learn to pry your fingers away from it and, and walk away. <laughs> yeah, no, completely, completely. So yeah. in, in your chief of staff role, right. Or even the EA role force multiplier role. Generally, um, you know, we, I talk about this quite a bit. I've read articles about this, like mental fitness and ability to understand human behavior is like not a, it's not a soft skill. It is the skill. Like it is the skill for a force multiplier because you're dealing with multiple executives, maybe multiple, um, you know, personality types. You have to influence, you have to coach, you have to drive um, execution. How do you prepare for something like this? And how do you sort of level up your own, I would say, mental fitness to be that force multiplier? Because that is the most difficult, I would say, skill set for a force multiplier or any leader. But generally, force multipliers live in that role, right? You do. And it, it's... <sighs> It's weird. Well, you have to, it's almost like you have multiple personalities. You know, <laughs> you, have to, you you speak to this person this, this way, this one the other way. Uh, you're appealing to their personality and what, um, how you can um, impress them or be impact, not impactful. Um, influence, probably influence them, right? That's the other I word. Well, help uh, them understand, right? Sometimes it's it's explaining the why behind why your CEO is doing a certain thing or launching something or changing direction, which is the hardest to do. <laughs> and you have to speak to them in a language, in a language that they understand and that they that they appeal to. Um, I think EAs start to do that then. 
And, yes. you know, we learn how to do it. And we we learn personalities because, you know, we started, you know, not just supporting one person. We were supporting multiple managers and we learn those personalities. We learn what it is that they um what they like and what they dislike. And that's, you learn then how to speak to that meet, uh, to those different managers and to be able to influence them. Uh, however it is that you need to influence them, whether they need to do a thing or walk away from it. So, um, I, th- I think you just, the way that I've always done it, I've just had to, you know, be civil and just talk to people in different uh, in pers- different personalities. Nobody know who I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I call that? I call that being a transformational leader. And I, that is a term, Brenda, because, and, and this goes for any person and role out there. I also learned this the hard way, but it is so important. Look, executive presence is important, right? And to have that, executive presence, you have to understand when to pull forward, when to pull back, when to speak, when to let others speak, when to let go and see how somebody else sort of puts their thought together because you're, you you know, sometimes you're just kind of like, oh, wow, I would not have done it that way. And this is so much better. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many times I've, I've, I've had an aha moment. So many times I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't even think about it that way. What? How? Okay, that's my new. That's how I'm gonna do it from now on. <laughs> yeah. And you also, when you do that too, you also learn that oh, okay, that really wasn't the um, the priority that I thought it was. It wasn't that important. And I and I, I found myself stressing over something that wasn't a big deal at all. So yeah, uh, stepping back is is. Uh, a good strategy as well. <laughs> it is, right? It is. Um, if you were to talk about the most challenging part about being a force multiplier, what is it in your experience? Um, and how did you how did you, you know, overcome it? I know I get I get a little I got a little deep in my feelings. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, now you've stumped me. Um I think probably the the hardest part, I think the hardest part for me is going back to the strategy and the KPI. Um, I had a bit of a, a different opinion about a certain strategy and really didn't think and I can't get into the detail of it, but I couldn't, I didn't think that that was a strategy. I thought, well, this is just what we do. You know, yeah. you know, that's your job. Um, and I, I, I didn't say anything and I, and I should have, but I didn't say anything because I was feeling a bit small at the time because everybody in the room thought it was a strategic thing except and so I didn't say anything um and I learned later that it truly was something strategic and once I start to see it unfold and see what my manager was talking about I was like oh okay 
<laughs> um, I have to say that the one thing I learned from it or one of the things I learned from it was always speak up because I think if I had said something, even being the only person that didn't agree, it could have been explained to me at that time what it was all about instead of me leaving the room going, oh, God, that is so stupid. I wouldn't have done it. So, <laughs> uh, so if I had spoke up and said something, it would have been explained to me and I would have learned immediately what my uh, CEO was talking about. So um I've learned since then to always say something, always, you know, even if you, and, and, I, and I've spoken up since then and they've explained it and I'm like, oh, okay. Or I've spoken up and it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's a good point. You know, so I've learned from that to just to speak up. So the, the, the KPIs and strategies are difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, it's also the atmosphere and culture. It is so important for small businesses, large businesses. It doesn't change like having the culture to allow for individuals to speak their mind, to provide different perspectives is so important. And I remember there have been times where even in my roles, even with even with an MBA, okay, like, you know, if you feel if you have this fear of speaking up because because the culture doesn't allow it, that's a problem. And yes. anybody today needs to really reflect on that. And I, I think it is such an important question to pose in like employee engagement surveys. So mm -hmm. important because the ability, it, it just creates such a, I mean, you, your company will just run better. It will. And, you know, and even though I thought that KPI or that strategic item, you know, I still had the opportunity to speak. They never, you know, not it never exactly. said, well, yeah, great. Never treated me that way. But, but it was it was all in here. Yeah. And, and there was no reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to get out of your own head. Right. <laughs> So how do you, you know, how do you build, like, that's a very difficult, um, I would say, development area for a lot of individuals, right, is building confidence and building enough confidence to, you know, provide a varying perspective. And I feel like as a force multiplier, that's the reason you get hired, right? Like, I know when I, ha I was a force multiplier, when I had a force multiplier myself, like, I, my favorite part was challenging me because I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I should not be doing it that way. Thank you for your perspective. <laughs> you just saved me six months of agony and pain because by the time I would have found out, we would have been crashing and burning. <laughs> but it isn't easy. It isn't easy to build confidence, right? Do you have any advice around that? I do. I, my confidence, I believe, came from working with my mentor. I have a couple of mentors in my life and, you know, and it's just from talking to them, you know, you know, one always says, you know, Brenda, you know better. And, you know, and I've always kept that in my head. And, um, and I think talking to them and, and then doing that thing or it has helped me, you know, and then just the constant practice, Again, 
will stick with speaking up. That helps build your confidence as well. So it, I'd, I'd say uh, having a mentor is very important, uh, is very helpful. Uh, you have to have that. And just to find out, you know, am I, you know, crazy in thinking this way? So do, I think a mentor is helpful. I agree. And I also, I also feel like sometimes maybe having a person in your life that's a truth teller, you yes. know, because yes. there are, and that the, you don't have to sometimes go far. That could be like a parent, a sibling, a college friend, like somebody that's just going to always lay it out real to you. I feel like that real perspective is so important sometimes. It is. And your, your mentor should be a truth teller. True. I mean, you don't, and, you know, when you're looking for that one, you know, don't, um, don't just pick somebody who thinks, oh, you're great and you're terrific. Um, you want that, but you also want somebody that's going to tell you the truth and and uh, be very upfront with you and, and tell you, you know, that's really not a good idea. You may want to look at that a different way. So uh, absolutely, you do want a truth teller. Right. So tell us, Brenda, what is something people don't really know about you? Oh God! Uh, or what are they surprised to find out about you? I don't, don't want to tell them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell us that. Tell us something else then. <laughs> um, the is a couple of things. Uh, one, I watch way too much television. Way too much. Um, but I enjoy it. I love watching classic movies. The older, the better. Um, you see, I have a bunch of. I see. You also stuff. dropped a year yeah. for me, and I, I love that. You were like, you have to watch movies from 1939. I'm like, oh, you know, movies like that, you you have to watch those. And, uh, and and I know they can be a little weird in our today time, but just go past it. And you'll I've I enjoy them. And um, it's really good for my mental health. I think uh, I just it just kind of is fantasy for me and more so than movies today. And, you know, I just love it, you know, watching uh, Pride and Prejudice and, you know, these people are live in this huge house and they wear these great gowns, but they're poor. So, you know, it's just kind of fun to watch. And they're, you know, they're nervous about being put out of their home. So it's it's just a little different. And, and uh, I love doing that. Uh, I'm a great cook. I love to cook. And um, I'm I'm good at it. So the, yeah. those few things that people don't know about me, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's so important to like touch base with the things that make you happy, the things that help you be creative. I also love to cook. And, you know, it's funny because there, I don't, I mean, I don't have that much time to cook, but I just feel like being, you know, with my hands, putting flavors together, to me, it's a form of art, you know? Exactly. Right. And you, you actually were in the food industry too, as chief of staff. So you, you've been around, you know, that whole servicing industry and what it means and, you know, um, 
I mean, Gordon Ramsay, like, come on, like, you know, you're not great chefs. (laughs) Yeah, food is is one of my passions, you know, outside of, you know, being being an administrative professional. I, I love food, all things food, and it's really a fun thing to me, a, a fun thing for me. Uh, when I cook a lot of times, and especially if I've had a bad day, it helps me to decompress. Right. And I get all of that. I get all of it out. And, I'm, you know, I get to focus on something else, on how to create uh, something. And by the time I've finished making the meal, I feel much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your outlet. It is my outlet. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so important to have outlets. We, we have, I think, you know, the pandemic has taught us that at the end of the day, we are human. Absolutely. We have feelings. We can't, yeah. them. we can't, you can ignore them for a while, but there comes a point where you will crash, burn, burnout, anxiety. I mean, there's a lot of things that come with it. Right. And I think that's having an outlet is so important, especially when you have maybe an intense career or you're, you know, always go, 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 pulling back so critical. It is critical. I wish my outlet was, you know, running, but, (laughs) (laughs) but no. (laughs) Hey, I love, I love, you know, it's funny because there are individuals that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, going to restaurants, like who does that anymore? And I'm like, well, I do. I love it. I love, I love restaurants. Like, I, maybe, maybe that's my toxic trait. I love to go out and eat. I love it. And I I can, I can go without buying a lot of things, but going out to eat is one thing I can just have a hard time budgeting. (laughs) I would just say Brussels sprouts never come out good at home. I just, period. I've yet to find somebody to make me Brussels sprouts like the restaurants. I'm coming over. <laughs> so what, Brenda, what, as, we, as we wrap up here, what advice would you give um, force multipliers out there? What is, what is your Brenda Rogers perspective to them to help them in their career goals? to continue training. That's always my thing. You have to keep training. Um, you have to have a community, a network. You know, you always have to do that, whether, you know, you get it from a, a founder and force multiplier or from Hallie's uh, uh, news, news, yeah. newsletter. Yeah. Newsletter. I can't get my words out. Uh, <laughs> Letter, or you know, you get it from even uh, assistants, other assistants that work in your company. You have to have that network. Um, and the third thing is, um, you know, just have belief in yourself. You know, you you know better. You know better, as my mentor says to me. And you've been in this job or this position for however many years. And you know what to do. Don't underestimate yourself. So, you know, get training, stay in contact with your community and believe in yourself. Trust yourself. 
love, 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 love everything. I, you have, you are so inspirational, Brenda. I, I am so excited to find out that we live in the same zip code. What are the odds? What a small world. <laughs> um, you, you're just such an inspiration. And I want to say that I don't know if you have been told this, but your calming demeanor is just so beautiful to me. Like oh. I gravitate towards it. You make me happy. I smile every time I'm with you. And I don't know if anyone's told you, but to like that is a strength. That is oh. a strength. And I, I, I want you to own it because I, you put a smile on my face. I know you put a smile on others' face, and I can just see why you're such a great force multiplier, especially in times of chaos. I want you to be around me when I have chaos around me because I feel like you're just. You're like calming water. <laughs> and you know, that's it's so funny you've mentioned that because I think that's something I've always had. And, you know, I've been, you know, in legal and, you know, things would kind of blow up and everybody was running around and I was like, okay. Um, and, you know, <laughs> great quality. Time. And I never even knew that I had that. So I, thank you for Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Brenda, for being here today. It has been a super inspirational interview. Force multipliers out there, I know, are going to not only take your words and apply them, but I feel like founders and leaders out there hearing perspectives and the voice of a force multiplier helps them understand what to do with their strategic partners. It has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. If you love the show, please leave us a review. It really helps us get the podcast out to the leaders and force multipliers who need it. As you know, we love to share in experiences and grow together. If you are interested in coming on to our podcast or have a guest referral, please email us at info at founderandforcemultiplier.com and all the information to reach us is linked below in the show notes. Thank you again and see you next week.